Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. It's the monster from the swamps, Regis Ruguru Program. Hey, what's up? This is King Carlos Molina, former IBF world champ. This is Michael, the bounty hunter, 2012 Olympian and your people's champ. This is Charlie Edwards, flyweight champion of the world. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 184 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Coastman. I'm joined, as always, by the elusive Mr. Ayaz Sumra. Ayaz, how are you doing? I'm good, Joey. Yourself? Very good, my friend. Very good. Uh, let's dive straight into it. There is quite a bit to go over. We're going to start, of course, with a review part of the show. We're going to start at the Olympia in Liverpool, Merseyside, United Kingdom. Obviously, a card that went under the radar a little bit here, and understandably so. A few names, though, to mention. Jazza Dickens picked up win number 26. He's got those three losses. A knockout in round five against a guy called Nasibu Ramadan. Quite clearly overmatched. Now 27 and 14 with two draws, a TKO there in the fifth round. Uh, Jazza Dickens, friend of the show, of course. Also, we saw James Metcalf move to 19-0, and a knockout in the eighth and final round against Santos Medrano, who's now 10-64 and with five draws. Um... Brian the Lion Rose, 31-5 and five now uh, with, with one draw. A points win over six against James Hagen-Imana, who's now 11 um, uh, losses, eight wins, uh, 11 losses, like I say, and one draw. He was actually down in the first round, Hagen-Imana, but Brian the Lion Rose couldn't finish him, and again, that's another friend of the show. All the very best to Brian Rose. He's looking for that... Um, that, that Scott Fitzgerald fight, if I'm not mistaken there. Uh, moving out now, though, to the O2 Arena in Greenwich, London, United Kingdom. I has obviously the big card um, of the weekend, if you like. Uh, could be telling a porky there. Certainly the biggest card in the UK anyway. Of course, the, the bigger ones, the pay-per-view ones, came a bit later on, came on the other side of the Atlantic. But let's start here with the undercard, I has. Um... Shannon Courtenay, the, uh, the the lady, the, the female boxer, she moves to 2-0, and a points win over four rounds against Roz Siljanova, I think it said, who's now 1-5 and five with one draw. She was pulled in at late notice. Uh, apparently, she was really tough. I didn't see the fight. I think it may have been on Facebook Live or something. She didn't get any telly time uh, this time round. Um, for her fight, but yeah, two and zero now with with two fights both going the distance there. Um, also on the bill, Connor Ben moved to fourteen and zero, a points win over eight against Joseph Zaradnik, who's now ten and three. Zaradnik wasn't a bad fighter; he could box a bit actually. He was causing Connor Ben a couple of problems, not nothing he couldn't handle. It was a good learning kind of fight you'd, you'd say uh, he moves up the rankings it would seem with the WBA Zaradnik was actually down in the 7th round also but a good win there for Connor Benny banks the rounds once again uh, Derek Chisora has against Senad Gashi I said it I've been saying it ever since the fight got made it, it could really be a stinker I thought it would be and it completely was um, no one else said that apart from me I'm Getting quite cocky there, but I uh, I really saw a real boring fight there. That is Derek Chisora's 30th win. He's got the nine losses, a unanimous decision there over 10 against Senad Gashi, um, who's now 17-3 and three inside 20 fights. Again, Senad Gashi's fights, 
I think 99% of them end before the final bell. There's always a knockout. It's either him going or, or he gets the opponent going. Absolutely no danger in that fight at all. It was real boring to watch. Um, it was hard to not switch off, really. Um... Josh Kelly against Prism Slaw Ronowski, who who was undefeated, 17-0 going in. He's got the one loss now. Josh Kelly picked up a unanimous decision over 10 rounds. It was for his WBA international welterweight strap. Ronowski was down in the second round and the tenth round. Uh, I think he was also given a count in round nine, if I'm not mistaken. A good performance there from Josh Kelly. I as he seemed to start off really well. Uh, I saw people online, you know, giving it to him, saying that he's got to keep his hands up. It's just the way he's fighting that type of guy. I mean, that guy only had three knockouts from his 17 wins. He wasn't a big puncher. He, he was able to take those risks with a guy like that. I think he's he's not a silly fighter, you know. He's not a silly boxer. He's not a silly man at all. And as he moves up in levels and he starts fighting the punches, of course he's not going to have his his uh, his his gloves down by his knees. But um, a good performance, other than that, really from Josh Kelly. Ayers. Yeah, I mean it's another great performance from Josh Kelly. Obviously, he's, he's a rising star, and obviously he's just a, it's just a love and it's another learning fight from. So I mean, well done to Josh Kelly on the win. For sure, um, he's now nine and zero. Like I say, perfect record. He's supposed to be fighting on that Joshua versus question mark undercard. Um, I'm hoping that there's going to be an announcement before we finish recording the show. Um, I'm hoping that you know we, we got an opponent there for Joshua. Perhaps, perhaps as we as you're listening to this, it's already been decided. But um, as of right now, it is Joshua versus TBA, and um, he was supposed to be on that undercard, Josh Kelly. But I think he picked up a slight cut, perhaps. If I'm not mistaken, I think it was from like a head clash or something. Um, so hopefully that's healed up in time and he can indeed get on that undercard. Let's move up the bill once again here. Uh, let's let's now talk about Joe Cordina. He moved to 9-0. and A brilliant, brilliant performance here from him. I was really impressed. It was for the vacant British lightweight title and also for the Commonwealth strap, which of course Cordina had going into the fight. He took on um, Andy Townend, a man that can pose a threat. He can bang 22-4 and going in. A TKO though for Joe Cordina. He was the the man with the class and he really put on a show and he had Townend down three times in that sixth round and you know the the pace that he set was brilliant um, it was pretty much a punch perfect performance really from Joe Cordina really really impressive and I tweeted it out as I saw the fight I think it was just afterwards I said Joe Cordina is a guy that turned over after those 2016 Olympics he didn't really have the buzz around him you know he's a Welsh fighter he's not you know English if you like I don't really know if that makes much of a difference but I know that some of the Welsh fighters like the Selbys and stuff like that they they really fail to have a massive fan base but I'm not quite sure that's the same with him but there is something about Welsh fighters it's it's weird because Welsh fighters are some of the best we've ever had Joe Calzaghe springs straight to mind but the following that some of them lack is quite alarming but um yeah Joe Cordina obviously you know he turned over, you've got the likes of Josh Kelly, you've got the likes of Anthony Fowler, you've got the likes of Buatzi, you've got the likes of, um, who am I missing out there from that crop of Olympians, Akoli, you know, those type of guys, they've got a lot of hype around them, whereas he doesn't really have that hype, no one's really talking about him outside of the ring, you know, they're only talking about him on fight night, but listen, he's delivering, he's ticking all the boxes, and he, in my eyes, has, has got a real promising future. Moving up the card once again, and this time for the final time, it was Dave Allen 16-4 and four with two draws getting in against former world champion Lucas Brown 28-1 and one going in um, of course it was it was uh 
you know, a big heavyweight fight. I said on last week's show a few things, and we're going to talk about it here. Um, Lucas Brown, for me, he started the fight decently well. Um, I gave him the first round. You know, he was keeping it long. He wasn't letting the smaller man get on the inside. He had good jabs. Um, Dave Allen failed, failed to show any head movement at all. There was nothing really telling landed in that first round. A little bit of rare head movement from Lucas Brown. He's not famous for that either, but it was a clear Lucas Brown round in that first. In the second round, again, that left hook to the body from Allen seemed to be his key punch early on. On last week's show, Lucas Brown did actually say that the left hand to the body was one of Dave Allen's best shots, but again, I actually gave that second round to Lucas Brown. I think his uppercuts were landing time and time again. It was worrying, actually, seeing Dave Allen eat so many uppercuts that early on in the fight. But, you know, I don't think Lucas really had much conviction on his punches. I think he was trying to kind of just outpoint Dave, really, and not overexert himself and get tired. But, um, yeah... A brilliant round there for Lucas Brown. And then, of course, in the third round, there it was. The left hook to the body, right in the sweet spot. Brilliantly timed it was. And as I said on last week's show, you know, the loser does find themselves in a very difficult position. I know that Lucas has pretty much said there's no way he's going to retire. I think someone said... um, you know, are you gonna are you gonna retire or something like that? I think he responded by saying just a load of bleep bleep bleep. I'm not gonna swear, but he doesn't want to retire Lucas Brown despite losing that. But yeah, again, you know, he he he, he certainly won the first two rounds for me. It is a bad loss, you know. He, he did seem to be a class above Dave Allen in terms of the boxing skills and stuff like that, but. He didn't really disgrace himself because of that. You know, he won every round apart from that third round and. You know, it was a body shot rather than a big brutal knockout, and a well placed body shot is pretty much unrecoverable. Um, from you know, some some boxers really can't recover from it um, in in the needed time, of course, and that was the case here. Um, I guess he can come back. I mean, his his days are definitely numbered, and uh, and you know, I, I don't really want to see him in any big fights. I think that is it. I stand by what I said. I think. Like I say, because it was early, because it was a body shot, because he won every round, he didn't really disgrace himself. But yeah, he he probably can have one one more big fight, perhaps. But you know, it's back to the drawing board for him. He really should have done better there. And you know, the, the sheer fact of looking at it on paper being stopped in the third round is a little bit embarrassing. As for Dave Allen, of course, it's it's his undoubtedly his biggest win um this win obviously bounces him into another big fight you'd you'd guess uh, for me i'd like the david price fight for him i think it's the right kind of fight and um you've got to mention that he he actually knocked lucas brown out in half the time dillian white did so that's a little factoid to throw out there for the dave allen uh, fan club that i'm sure are probably tuning into this week's show uh moving out now though to the dignity health sports park in carson california usa i'm just going to try and fly through this one we got to see over here um, Andy Ruiz Jr the forgotten man of the heavyweight division a real top contender in my eyes he picked up win number 32 he's got that one controversial loss to Joseph Parker on points Uh, he took on Alexander Dimitrenko Dimitrenko actually retired on his store after five rounds he didn't come out for round six Brandon Figueroa also had a similar situation Uh, his opponent retired on his store after eight rounds he didn't come out for round number nine that was Jon Frez Pereira now 22-4 and four with one draw. Um, Brandon Figueroa, 19-0. and 0, And that one was actually for the interim WBA World Super Bantamweight title. So a good belt there for Figueroa. He's, he's doing all the right things. 
Uh, also on the bill, we get to see, or got to see, I should say, uh, Danny Garcia. He was able to knock out Adrian Granados in seven rounds. It was for the vacant WBC silver welterweight title. Granados was down twice in the second and once in the fifth before being stopped, like I say, in the seventh. Danny Garcia now 35-2. and two. A lot of people getting really hyped up after that win. He looked really good, Danny Garcia. Some people are even saying if he has the rematch with Porter, if he has the rematch with Furman, will he be be able to win those fights? Will he be able to avenge those losses? I don't think so. I think Granados was a few levels below, you know, a guy like Danny Garcia. Danny Garcia is an elite fighter. You know, he, he really is. Um, I'd like to see him fight Pacquiao, but... Um, yeah, there's, there's still big fights for Danny Garcia out there for sure. Uh, moving out now to the Rosecroft Raceway in Fort Washington, Maryland, USA. One fight to mention on this bill. Friend of the show, Dusty Hernandez Harrison, moved to 32-0 and with one draw. He's got that minor blemish, the draw, but other than that, he's got one of the longest undefeated streaks in pro boxing. A knockout here in the fourth round against Fred Jenkins Jr., who's now 10-6. and Bit overmatched there. Uh, moving out to the final card to mention now, though, at the MSG in New York, USA, as... Um Let's start with the undercard, of course. We got to see Carlos Adamez, 16-0, now 17-0. A good fighter, him. He's the guy with, I think, 45 siblings. He's, his father is a very famous farmer in the Dominican Republic. He's known for a lot of things, of course. He fought for the vacant WBO, NABO Super Welterweight title and the NABF Super Welterweight title. He took on Frank Galaza. Uh, Frank Galaza, um, a guy with an interesting story, 20-2 and two with two draws, Galaz was down uh, from a left hook in the fourth round and that was it, he was TKO'd in that fourth round, a good win there for Adamez um, also on the bill we got to see Felix Vadejo 24-1, and he took on Brian Vasquez 37-3 and a win there for Vadejo over 10 rounds, a good win actually for him um yeah, back to his back to his best. Hopefully, we, we we'd like to see him in a couple of big fights. I remember he was defending that Latino title for way too long. It really kind of um, you know stagnated his career. Uh, moving up to the final three fights, though, Shakur Stevenson he looked really good. He beat Christopher Diaz twenty four and one. Of course, Diaz's only other loss came in a world title fight to Masayuki Ito. Um, it was for the IBF Intercontinental Featherweight Strap and the vacant WBO NABO Featherweight Strap. Shakur Stevenson, 11-0 now. He pretty much won every round. He seemed to coast the last round. I don't know what that was about, really. Some people weren't impressed, but listen, he won everything aside from that. He's got a few things going on outside the ring, and I think for him to be able to kind of put that at the back of his mind while he put on a real you know, world-class performance here. Uh, that that needs to be applauded. So a good win there for friend of the show, Shakur Stevenson. Another friend of the show, though, Tiafimo Lopez, 12-0. and He was able to get in there with Edis Tatley, a man that had never been stopped, 31-2 and going in, now 31-3. and He was able to get the knockout in the fifth round, Tiafimo Lopez. Um, he, he celebrated with the backflip, as he does quite often. It was for the NABF lightweight title. Really impressive win there for Lopez. Like I say, a man that is sure of becoming a future world champion. It just has to happen. He's only 21 years of age. It's almost unbelievable. Uh, he's doing all the right things, absolutely. Like I say, I've said it a few times, I don't want to see him get rushed into that Lomachenko fight too early. But the main event, Ayaz, I'm going to throw it over to you to begin here. Terence Crawford, 35-0 and now. Again, a real long undefeated streak he's got there. And Amir Khan, of course, 33-5. and It was his fifth loss. He was down in the first round. It was a real nightmare start. It was for 
Terence Crawford's WBO world title, and it ended with a TKO in round six, but it ended with some serious controversy. Talk me through it, Ayers. We saw it in the fight in from the first round that Amir Khan was using his speed, but obviously it's the same shot that literally happened. When Chris Algeri hit him with that same shot, Canelo hit him with that same shot, and Terence Crawford hit with that with that same shot in the first round. You can see, like obviously, when Amir Khan was punching, he was like literally trying to wave his hand off as well. Obviously, in the post-fight interview, he said that he had an elbow injury going into this fight. Um, obviously, in the uh, second and third round, um, he used the speed a bit. Uh, obviously, Crawford was still beating him in the rounds. Uh, on going into the fourth round, Amir Khan was using his speed. Obviously, using, uh, you can see that he's trying to wave his hand off again. Obviously, because of the because uh, he said that he had an elbow injury, but Crawford was beating him fifth round. I gave it to Crawford in the sixth round. Uh, obviously, can't use his speed. Crawford hit him with a body, and he he hit him in the like they said in the testicles. Now they say you get five minutes. Now obviously Khan Khan said to his corner like I can't, my stomach is hurting anymore, and there's rumors going around saying that Virgil was thrown in the tower. And according to Amir Khan on, on his Twitter, he said, yeah, "I never caught a fight in my life. My understanding was that Virgil asked me if the low blow still hurt, and I said yes. My intention was to wait until and continue like always. Now a lot of people, a lot of people said that he's a quitter. If he's a quitter, yeah, how can he be a quitter from this fight?" He's fought all the top names. He's fought Crawford. If someone punches, if someone hits you in the balls, yeah, surely you're gonna be in pain. And obviously, to be fair, like this, this, this fight. When when I saw Khan fight, he didn't look like the Khan. I remember watching against the Maidana, the Judas, the Peterson. He looked like an old Khan. It's like, it's like this Khan. This Khan looked completely different. Like, uh, to be fair, like now that he's lost this fight, um, if I was him, I firstly hang up the gloves. I wouldn't give Kelbrook that uh, that last fight because there's no point. Kelbrook hasn't, to be fair, like um, he he doesn't deserve the fight. I mean, he doesn't even. He's still chasing the Khan fight. Khan's. If you look at Khan's resume, I tell you something. In boxing at the moment, apart from Canelo, I think Khan's got the best resume at the moment. Obviously, if you look at his fights, he's fought everyone. He's literally has not ducked anyone. He's not ducking Kelbrook. There's no point because Kel that Kelbrook fight is always going to be there. But obviously, and now that we're, um, with that, like I said, going back to the going back to the way he got punched in the balls. Um, I I personally think that I personally think he couldn't carry on. A lot of people say he's a quitter. I don't think he's a quitter. So I mean, like I said, I think Khan, from my opinion, there's no point in boxing again because obviously the only fight that's left in there is Kelbrook. And to be fair, it's not really an interesting fight. If it was in two in, back in 2015, 16, it would have been a huge fight. But it's not that fight anymore. It doesn't bring much attention. So I mean, like I said, I mean, I wish Khan all the best. Yeah, I mean, in my heart of hearts, I think that Khan was probably trying to fish initially for a disqualification, and it seemed to backfire. It was very interesting, because even I was very confused. I was looking at it thinking, well, wait, it was actually a low blow. He should have made a meal out of it, if that was the case. He should have made a bigger meal out of it. He should have gone on the floor and started rolling him round, but he didn't. And, you know, it was very sketchy afterwards when he started talking to the interviewer saying he couldn't move, even though he completely walked over to the middle of the ring to give the interview. Um, he was putting the blame on Virgil. Virgil was putting the blame on him. It was very weird. It seemed like there was a huge misunderstanding, terrible communication from fighter to trainer. Look, I mean... I'm never going to call Amir Khan a quitter for the reasons that you underlined, really, I had, saying that he's he's boxed everyone. He's arguably got the best resume in boxing, him and Canelo. 100% I agree with that. Um, I, I can't 
actually bring myself to call Khan a quitter. Absolutely not. After all the things he's done, he's fought like a complete nutter and ended up getting himself knocked spark out. That goes to show there's no quitting that man. In fact, I'd say that of recent years, Khan's probably got the most heart of any boxer I've ever seen. I dare you to name me one that, you know, another boxer that's even shown half the heart that Amir Khan has shown in a boxing ring. Um... But yeah, I think I think it is the end of the road for Khan now. My selfish side does want to see that Brook fight, but you know it's certainly gone down. The, the stocks in that fight have certainly certainly plummeted after this loss. Kell Brook looked really bad last time out as well. Um, so it, it it would be it would really just be a last little cash grab. But I think Khan's made the complete wrong move by taking that fight. Perhaps he'll look back now and regret taking that Crawford fight because if that really is the way he ends his career and, you know, he would have made more money fighting Brook, I think he should have took the Brook fight. I think he should have took the Brook fight a long time ago, to be honest with you. But my quick assessment on the actual fight, I felt the first round Amir started really well and he was on his way to winning that round and then, of course, he got caught... um, he scares the life out of me watching Amir Khan. It really does. You know, my heart is pumping for the whole fight. I'm even biting my fingernails watching him. Um, I think it was a right-hand counter, I believe it was. And his feet were all wrong, Amir Khan. And he, he went down. He got back up. He kind of got saved by the bell a little bit. He fought, he fought all right, actually. He got back up. His head cleared, but his legs were still a bit shaky. But obviously a 10-8 round there. The second round, Khan, for me, did win that round. I don't think too much really landed from either guy. But the few that did land... And was were most of the time Amir's shot, so a 10-9 round there for Amir, and that was really all I gave him up until the finish. The third round, again, Crawford was switching, I think he switched to Southpaw in that round, and Amir really struggled to work that out. Uh, the fourth round, again, you'd probably have to give it to Crawford, he was ripping to the body of Khan, but Khan did take some big shots upstairs, he answered well, you know, he, he took some big shots, he, he did land some nice shots himself, but they were just few and far between, and, you know, it was the first time where I'd ever actually said to myself, Amir Khan was letting rounds slip away because he was being too cautious. He wasn't doing enough. Um, Amir Khan, it it didn't suit him being that patient. That's not his style. He is quite gung-ho. He's been made to pay for it. But most of the time, he's he's reaped the rewards of it, really. But yeah, it was obvious, um, you know, the knockdown and the the fact that Crawford is such an accurate puncher that he really could get clipped and knocked out. That was probably playing a part in Khan not over-committing. Um, yeah, it was a very measured performance so far in that fourth round from, from, from Khan. So another round slipped away from him there. In the fifth round, again, Crawford was just so relaxed. He was dishing out punishment. It was be- becoming a little bit one-sided. Khan did land a brilliant right hand in the dying seconds of the fifth round, but, you know, it certainly wasn't a calm round. It seemed already like Khan was going to need to really switch up the tactics and probably risk being not out um, when he did let his hands go he did have success in the fight but it was it was just too patient from Amir Khan he's never done it before he's never been that disciplined and like I say in that sixth round it was a low blow I'm not quite sure it was actually in the nuts like he says it was but the referee did give Khan some time and then like I say Virgil stepped in and stopped the fight and yeah 
I'm not quite sure. Khan seems like he's changed his story a few times, but I'm just not branding him as a as a quitter at all. I think Khan's done enough to earn the benefit of the doubt over the years. Um, but yeah, very sad to see. And if that's the end for Khan, it's a great shame. But he's been in boxing for a long time. I remember his goal was to retire at age 28. And to be honest with you, he actually could have retired at age 28. He's always had money. And he's been fighting for pride more than money in my eyes. Because that's why he didn't take the Brook fight. He could have made big money there. But he, he just fights for pride. And like I say, that's the reason he's got such a big heart. But if it is the end for Khan, then we wish him all the very best, Ayaz. Um, just for the people that were comparing... Uh, Amir Khan to Dave Allen. Dave Allen, funny enough, tweeted after the fight that Amir needs to retire. And that's my whole point. I mean, Amir has actually been a world-level fighter, and he he hasn't took shots off heavyweights. But that was Dave Allen. After five losses, he said to Amir Khan, you need to retire. He tweeted that out, believe it or not, at about five or six in the morning. And um, I was saying the exact same thing. The <laughs> The only problem is... Dave Allen's been taking shots from heavyweights, and Dave Allen hasn't gone on to win world titles. He's never really showed any promise, you know, on the same level of winning a, world, a, a silver medal at, at 17 years of age. And Dave Allen, if he lost to Lucas Brown, that would have been his fifth loss. So that was my point. But Dave Allen didn't like that. His, list, uh, his supporters didn't like that. And... Um, but he thinks the exact same for Amir Khan, who's actually won world titles, who's made loads of money. It doesn't make any sense. But that was like um, quite funny to see that, actually. Uh, nothing against Dave, by the way. But what I said was true. I felt like if Dave got stopped, then I thought it'd be the end for Dave. I wouldn't want to see him rack up you know, a sixth loss. That, that's all I'm saying. And Dave quite clearly understands where I'm coming from because he thinks the same about Amir Khan. Anyways, we'll leave that one there. Getting back to the prediction league, though, that was quite interesting, as Not a single prediction that you made with uh, on all the fights the listeners agreed with. You all went against each other. Um, the listeners were able to gain two points and you were able to gain one point, as You went with Garcia to get the knockout. The listeners said Garcia points, but the listeners went with Alan by knockout, you went with Alan on points, and the listeners did back the Crawford knockout, whereas you thought that Crawford would win on points. So two points gained there for the listeners, one point for yourself, Ayers. That means that you're now at the very back. You're behind the listeners. Again, people need to send us in suggestions for some kind of punishment for Ayers to do if he does end up losing out to the listeners. So, uh, yeah, that'd be fun. I'm looking forward to that one. But that's about it, though, for the review part of the show. Just before we wrap up part one, the last thing to do, of course, is to welcome guest number one. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the undefeated female NABF lightweight champion. It is, of course, Miss Selena Barrios. Selena, welcome to the show. Hi. Hey, it's, it's a brilliant pleasure having you on, Selena. Um, I want to talk about, of course, y- your upcoming fight. I want to just kind of dissect your career. Um, I want to I want to talk about your record five and zero. Obviously, you made your debut back in uh, January 2017 against Tammy Franks. Um, you were able to stop her in 40 seconds. I mean, Tammy Franks is a tough, <laughs> she's a tough girl, you know. She's she's never, ever been stopped anywhere near that quickly. Was it a good or bad thing, looking back now, to stop her that quickly, Selena? <laughs> um, to be honest, I think it was a good thing, especially to start off my pro career. Um, I mean, like I said, I always tell people, like, they're like, oh, you were just looking for a knockout. And I was like, no, honestly, I wasn't. It just happened that I ended up landing um, a shot like that and then I mean they ended up stopping it so it was a good experience for my first pro debut. 
Yeah, she's a tough girl. I mean, obviously, in the in the male side <laughs> of the sport, we say a journeyman. She's kind of got like a journeywoman uh, record, but she's a tough girl. She knows how to survive. So that was a real statement. And then, of course, came the Jasmine Clarkson fight, another tough girl who doesn't often get stopped. You went the distance there, but you was able to shut her out over four rounds. Uh, then, then, of course, the Lisa Porter fight. I mean, Lisa was undefeated. It was for the NABF title, a majority decision over 10 rounds back in December 2017. Please talk us through that fight, Selena. Um, that was actually, uh, I mean, still like to this day, that was one of my, I wouldn't say toughest fights, but it was a, a really good learning experience because, I mean, Lisa Porter, she did have an amazing um, amateur background just like me, and she wasn't just one of those female fighters where you could just go in and pretty much do whatever with you. Kind of had to like pick and choose your, like, you know, certain shots that were going in, and you kind of had to see like, the different style that she had versus the girls that I had previously fought. Um, because like I said, um, she was, she's had experience as well. So it's, she's one of those opponents where you can't just, you know, go in there and underestimate anybody and expect, you know, well, I'm just going to beat her like anything, you know? So it was, it was a really good learning experience with her. Um, so to this day, like I said, she's a really good, um, a really good opponent as far as the female boxing goes, because she's a really good boxer and she knows how to move and she knows how to hit. And then the Ida Satiboldanova fight. I mean, we actually streamed that fight on our website to to allow the UK fight fans to watch it. And boy, oh boy, did you impress. I mean, you <laughs> delivered undoubtedly one of the best knockouts of 2018. It was brutal. I remember watching that. I couldn't believe it. Um, talk us through that one. An epic knockout there, Selena. Yeah, that one, um, man, just leading up to the whole fight and preparing for that fight, like, I was just so determined, you know, to make a, a solid statement because, like, since, like, I guess day one of me, like, finding out that I was going to fight her, um, I was just like, okay, well, that's fine, you know, like, you know, I take every every one of my fights serious, you know, so I was like, all right, I'm, I'm prepared for it, you know, I'm going to do what I have to do in training camp. Well, like, the whole training camp, it turns out, like, everybody was like hyping her up uh, like um they were calling her the female triple g and i was just like i mean okay that that's fine you know like i mean if they call her the female triple g i mean that obviously means that she you know must be good so i'll be all right i mean that's that's understandable I, I was okay with it like i mean it didn't like do anything to me it didn't you know make me feel scared or it didn't change like my perspective of like what i needed to do as far as like um the fight goes so I was like, okay, well, that's fine. And then, of course, I had more people saying, well, you know, she, she fights like this. She hits her like this. And I was just like, yeah, I mean, that's fine. Like, I mean, that's part of boxing. Like, you're going to, you know, eventually have to fight those type of girls, especially, like, in the female boxing because there's not that many females, um, females in my weight division. So I was like, I mean, that's fine. Like, it's understandable. It's okay. And everybody was just like, I wouldn't say against, but they were just, I guess you could more or less say like they were more worried about her because they called her the female Triple G. And so when I ended up knocking her out, they were like, oh, wow, like, never mind. Like, <laughs> you really do know how to handle yourself very well. And I was just like, yeah, I mean, like I said, like any knockouts that I have gotten, they weren't like, oh, well, this is the punch that I'm looking for, you know, in my training camp. This is the one punch that I'm trying to knock her out with. Like, like I said, just the combinations and just the certain punches they end up landing and, you know, like every fighter, like, it's just unexpected, to be honest. And like I said, I wasn't expecting the fight to end that quickly because, like I said, like, she had fought good fighters and she had a she had won a, a title, too. 
I believe in Mexico or something. So I was like, okay, well, I was, expe- I was actually expecting, you know, a longer, um, a longer fight than what ended up happening. <laughs> but no, that knockout was just unbelievable. Again, for people <laughs> that perhaps are listening to this that haven't gone and, uh, and watched that knockout, I'm sure the clip is on YouTube. It is devastating. Um, moving on, <laughs> the uh, the most recent win you've got, of course, a 10-round points win over the undefeated Patricia Juarez. Uh, you defended your <laughs> NABF title also. Do you just want to say a couple of words on that before we move on? Um, yes. I mean, that fight, it was, I, I honestly, I would say the typical Mexican brawling type of fight. I ended up getting my first um, headbutt clash um, with the cut. So that was, uh, that was one of those like, oh, wow, like, there's actually, you know, I'm bleeding for one. <laughs> and just to actually have like, you know, I, I actually noticed too, like with, with certain fights, like the fighters, like when they get like, you know, a headbutt like above the eye or, you know, if there's blood going in and like, it kind of affects their vision. And I always wondered, like, oh, wow, like, I wonder, like, how it is to actually have, like, blood go in your eye. And it ended up happening to me, and I was like, oh, my goodness, like, this is not a good feeling because it really, like, it really burns. And then it makes your whole eye red, so I was like, oh, wow. So that fight, of course, like I said, it was, it was like a, I guess, a brawling match. With that one, it was, um, I guess I just wanted to make a statement because, again, I was considered the underdog only because Patricia Juarez's sister has a bunch of titles in um, her weight division. Um, so I was like, okay, well, I mean, her sister has a bunch of titles in her weight division in Mexico. So, I mean, she's going to be a tough opponent. So with that one, I was just, you know, like, I was trying to make a statement because, to be honest, like, at the weigh-ins and stuff, they were kind of just laughing at me. And, you know, I guess just pretty much acting like I was just going to be just a walkover opponent for her. So I was just like, okay, well, I mean, that's fine. Like, I never say, I never, like, talk bad about any of my opponents. Like, I never say anything. I'm just like, I know, I know what I have to do. I train right, and I pretty much do what I need to in order to prepare for my fight correctly. Well, if they were laughing, the joke was on them. I mean, you've been on fire. Free, free <laughs> back-to-back wins over undefeated females. Um, the next fight, you're, you're, you're fighting on Saturday at the Cajun Dome in Louisiana. Uh, the undercard of, of Pro Grey Relic. This is obviously the <clears> biggest <throat> stage you, you, you've fought on thus far in your career. I'm guessing you're massively looking forward to Saturday night. Oh, yes, most definitely. This one is going to be, like you said, like the most, like the biggest card I've ever fought on. Like my previous um, cards that I fought on, I was either the main event or, you know, just um, about just on a regular card. So this one is going to be my most exciting fight, and I'm beyond blessed and excited to actually fight on this card because, like I said, like this is going to be my first time fighting on a big undercard like this. So, I'm really, really looking forward to this fight. And especially, like I said, my opponent, um, she has 22-something fights. And I'm just like, okay, well, you know, this is going to be, like, one of those, like, where every boxer has to challenge themselves. And, you know, like, I'm just, I'm beyond excited, to be honest. I, like I said, I've been doing everything I was supposed to in training camp and everything's been going well. So I'm just pretty much prepared to, you know, not just show like the people who are actually having the fight but just you know just show people in general like what i have to bring to the female boxing 
Yeah, because the the World Boxing Super Series, the way they do it, they put like a big, uh, like a, it's, it's really weird. Usually at boxing, you've got like the media section, it's like a few rows, but in the World Boxing Super Series, the way they do it, it's like a big circle of, of desks with computers, with all the media kind of circling the ring. It's really, it's really unique, and uh, the lights and stuff, like the display, it's really different. I mean, it's, it's a big, it's a big jump from some of the venues in Corpus Christi, Um You'll be fighting, if I'm not mistaken, is it Melissa Hernandez still? Yes, sir. Oh, excellent. It is. I mean, this this is a great fight. Obviously, a former <clears throat> WBC featherweight world champion herself. She hasn't boxed since 2016. That was actually before you'd even turn pro. Do you know much about her, Selena? Um, to be honest, I don't know much about her. Like when it comes to like my opponents, um, I take um whatever like my dad, which is my who's my trainer, like whatever. He pretty much, you know, he studies my opponents for me because, of course, he is my trainer. So whatever he sees, you know, that's what we end up working on in the gym. And like I said, this um, Melissa, she's actually, I would, I mean, I would consider like a veteran in the women's boxing. Like, she's been around a while. She's not just a, a, a walkover opponent, you know. Um, so I'm pretty much doing what I have to do, you know, to come out victorious Saturday night. And I'm just really excited and prepared for it. And correct me if I'm wrong, but will this be three minute rounds instead of two minute rounds? Um, I'm not. I'm not too. I'm not exactly sure. They haven't really said anything about the the minute rounds. As far as I'm concerned, I believe it's still two minutes, and it's supposed to be six rounds. But I seen on the actual card it says six to eight, so I'm not exactly sure. Like how that's going to play out. Okay, cool, cool. And um, how are you finding sparring, Selena? I'm guessing that you probably have to spar with men most of the time. <laughs> yes. Um, to be honest, especially where I live um, in San Antonio, um, there's not that many, like, I, I would say female pros. There's a couple, but they, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say they don't, they don't like to spar me. Just, it's not really a challenge for me because to be honest, like, the female sparring versus, you know, the men sparring, it's a lot more different, of course, because, of course, the men, you know, they have their own strengths versus the females. And me personally, I'm like, you know what, like, you know, I'm a pro, so those are eight-ounce gloves. You know, eight-ounce gloves versus 16-ounce gloves, especially when you're fighting a female, it's totally different, you know, and especially without headgear. So I'm like, you know what, like, I need to challenge myself, and I've always sparred, you know, the men at my gym, and of course, like, I'm beyond thankful for them for helping me, you know. So, you know, like, I'm, you know, every now and then I'll get, you know, a little a little tag here and there from them. But, of course, like, they apologize to me and stuff. But I just tell them, like, no, like, honestly, like, this is what I need. Because, like, if I can handle a punch like this in sparring, then, you know, I wouldn't say, like, it's going to be easy punch to, you know, to take, like, in the actual fight. But, like, I'll be prepared for it, more or less. Um, and like I said, like, as far as the female pros in San Antonio, there's not that many, and the ones that are here, they don't like to spar me. <laughs> and I want to ask you also, Selena, I know that you said you're very respectful towards your opponents and stuff like that. Do you actually have any rival at the minute? Like, is there any is there any woman out there that you have a desire to fight at all? Or just, not just yet? Um, no, not just yet. I mean, of course, like, I want to fight the top females in my weight division, and if even I, if I have to go lower as far as like fighting at 130 instead of 135, I mean, I'm prepared for it and I'm, I'm ready for it. Like I said, um, 
right now the sky's the limit for me and I'm just pretty much doing what I have to for me and my daughter because I am a single mom. So everything that I do, not just for myself, but for her as well. Oh, wow. Respect to you. I didn't know that. That's, that's incredibly cool. Um, <laughs> I, Thank you. I see that you know you're fighting at lightweight, but you've you've been coming in light, really. You've been you've been weighing about one thirty three. Is your goal eventually to get down to super featherweight for the bigger title fights? Yes, exactly. Um, right now that's what me and my managers and my 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 dad, of course, with my coach. Um, that's what we're kind of like, you know, aiming towards. You know, like of course, I started my career off, you know, around one thirty eight, and then of course, I I eventually won my NABF title at one thirty five. So they're like, okay, well, let's, you know, let's do what the other female fighters have done as far as, like, winning titles and, you know, you know, eventually getting them and then just all these different weight divisions, you know, to unify those titles and stuff. So that's pretty much what we're working towards right now, you know, to eventually fight at 130 for a title. So we're just aiming towards that. And coming down to the last couple of questions, Selena, what are your thoughts on Katie Taylor? Obviously, she campaigns at lightweight. Um, you know, she's she seems to be bringing a lot of attention, really, to women's boxing. Are you a fan of hers? Um, yeah, I am. I'm honestly, like, I'm a fan of any, you know, as far as, like, women or men go. Like, I'm a fan of any fighter, really. Like I said, um, Katie Taylor, she's, of course, like, she's doing what she has to, you know. She's a, she's a great boxer. Um, she knows how to hit and move correctly so like she would be one of the ones that i would honestly look forward to fighting her like if i ever do get the chance to um like i said because everybody you know they want to eventually fight for those titles that she has so of course like that would be one of the ones that i'm like okay well man like i'd be honored you know if i could ever fight her for one of those titles Okay, and your your little brother Mario, he's doing brilliant things right now. He's he's twenty three and oh. We've had him on the show before, and he has said that he gets more nervous watching you fight than actually fighting himself. <laughs> Is that the same for you? Are you nervous when he's fighting? To be honest, yes, I, I would say so because even like growing up and seeing him spar, even seeing him fight at tournaments, I'm just always there, like. You know, a little nervous, like shaking a little bit. But then once I see my brother actually, you know, in there, like doing what he has to do, like my nerves kind of, you know, settle down a little bit. But of course, there's always that adrenaline, like where you're, you know, screaming and you're excited for them. So <laughs> I would say so, yeah. <laughs> and I asked him also, I said, I said, because Selena's older than you, when you were little, um, did you ever, you know, have any have any fights and stuff when you were growing up? Did she ever give you a bit of a beating? He kind of didn't want to answer that question. <laughs> I'm wondering if you can say anything. Did you ever give him a, a, a little bit of a beating when he was younger? <laughs> <laughs> him being my younger brother um because he's the only boy in, in our family um i guess because i was a tomboy i was just one of those like rougher sisters rather than you know the girly type and of course since me and him started boxing around the, i mean around the same time you know it was just one of those like where i wouldn't necessarily say i would pick on my brother just you know i just wanted him you know to be like a little tougher but eventually like he grew out of it and eventually he got taller than me so like, there was no really need for me to protect them like I used to do, like, in elementary school and, you know, just, you know, growing up in general. <laughs> Excellent stuff. And the, and the last thing I was going to say, Selena, um, you, do you use social media at all? I don't think you're on Twitter, are you? Are you on anything so that people listening can follow your journey? 
Um, yeah, unfortunately, I don't have Twitter. My brother's always on my butt about that one. He's always like, no, you need to make Twitter because everybody has Twitter. I'm just like, okay, well, I don't know how to use it. But um, the only thing I do have right now is Facebook and Instagram. I, I do post a lot with my boxing on my Instagram. And sometimes, like, if people aren't a lot, like, I wouldn't say if they're not, you know, there to see my fights, like, I will eventually go live on my Instagram for them just so they'll actually be able to see it. Okay, and um, and where can sorry, where can people actually follow you? Can you spell it out where they can follow you on Instagram and stuff like that, Selena? Yeah, of course. Um, it's Barrios B A R R I O S underscore S. I mean, no, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry. It's Boxer underscore S Barrios. So it's of course Boxer and then underscore S B A R R I O S. Okay, Boxer underscore S Barrios. Everybody must check that out. Give Selena a follow. Um, and just before we let you go, Selena, I just really wanted to throw it over to you if you've got any kind of closing words for our listeners before we let you go. Um, no, just I'm very honored, you know, to be on your podcast today, and just thank you so much for you know allowing me to speak. Um, and I hope everybody has a great evening. Um, thank you so much. No, honestly, the pleasure has been mine, Selena. It really has been an honor having you on the show. Best of luck for Saturday, and I hope to catch up again sometime after. Thank you so much. Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. Uh, during that interview just there, Ayaz had to leave due to a family emergency, so Ayaz will not be partaking in the rest of this week's show. He's, he's left a, a sheet of paper here with the, uh, the, the predictions for this week's Prediction League, so we'll get onto that in due time. All the best with Ayaz, of course. Uh, but going over to the news part, I mean, there's not really too much to mention here. Um, Dillian White will be taking on Oscar Rivas for uh, the the number one heavyweight spot in the WBC rankings. Uh, I'm not quite sure that that means too much. It's going to be happening at the O2 Arena on July 20th. Uh, it's also going to be on Sky Sports box office, so I'm hoping that they're going to make it a real good undercard because that fight alone, obviously... Doesn't do big numbers, in my opinion. Um, Oscar Rivas is a good fighter, though. He's coming off that knockout against um, against Bryant Jennings. Obviously, he's undefeated. He's a Colombian Olympian, and he's based in Canada. Um, I've spoke to him a few times, actually, not on the show. I don't think his English is good enough, but he's pretty good with a translator on, on the direct messages. He seems like a nice guy from what I can make of it. All the very best to him, actually, because... Um, you know, he, he was a good amateur. I think he fought Michael Hunter in the amateurs, stuff like that. I think Hunter beat him. But a good fighter. He's he's a strong, relentless type of guy. And, um, you know, if you watch that Bryant Jennings fight, he was excellent there. But that is really the only piece of news to mention. Uh, we're still awaiting Joshua's replacement opponent. Who is it? Nobody seems to know just yet. There's been some last-minute movements that it's going to be Andy Ruiz Jr., who we mentioned in Part 1. Obviously, he fought on the weekend, so I can't understand how how he's going to be ready. I mean, he's not going to be ready, let's be honest. You can't just peak and, you know, you can't just peak and, and not peak and then get ready for a fight and then have the fight and then, you know, suddenly peak again all too soon. It's not going to happen for him. It's going to be it's going to be a stupid matchup, actually. I hope that Andy Ruiz doesn't just take that fight because if he does, then he's surely just taking it for the payday. It's clear to see he's not going to be in fighting um, tip-top shape. He's not going to be ready for that one physically. Um, but yeah, forget about the news. That is all there is. Moving over now to the preview part of the show. We're going to start here with a card that's happening later today at the Fantasy Springs Casino in Indio, California, US. 
USA. It's a Golden Boy Promotions card. And what I like about this card is it's it's pretty much topped by two fights. There's like a main event and a co-main event. Let's start with the quote-unquote main event here. We've got Canada's Eves Ulysse Jr., 17-1. and one. The one loss came to Steve Claggett. A very controversial loss, by the way. Eves Ulysse actually thought that he won the fight. Well, here is the rematch. Steve Claggett gets back in. It gives him a chance to avenge that defeat there. Steve Claggett, 27-5 and five with two draws. Um, like I say, I didn't actually watch the first fight, but this is the rematch. This is redemption time for Ulysse, who is a very good boxer. And I like his attitude, because after this first fight that they had he was so furious with the decision that he wanted to fight straight away he didn't want to wait he wanted to fight straight away and he actually was back in the ring just six weeks later against the undefeated knockout machine Cletus Seldin don't laugh at me there Cletus Seldin he may be a little bit one-dimensional but he can certainly crack and I tell you what Eves Ulysse Jr. completely schooled him and made him look dreadful that night there so credit to Eves Ulysse Jr. he's got my my respect for sure. Um, all the very best to him here. Hopefully he avenges that sole defeat to Steve Claggett. Also on the undercard, like I say, the co-main event, another rematch. Oscar Negrete, 18-1 and one with one draw. He takes on Josh Franco. Very good prospect. 14-1 um, and one with one draw. But yeah, they fought to a draw last time out. I believe it's an immediate rematch. It's for the NABF Bantamweight title. So may the best man win there. We don't like a draw. No one likes a draw. Moving out now, though, to the entertainment. Center in New South Wales, Australia. Um, couple fights to mention over here, actually. Former opponent of Carl Frampton, 17 and 1, Luke Jackson. Of course, the one loss came to Frampton. He's back in an eight rounder here. When he came over to, uh, to, to, was it Ireland or was it Northern Ireland, the fight? Well, anyway, when he came over, this guy, we really, we, we, we quite liked him. He had, he had a good story about him and, you know, he lost the fight. He, he, he was, he was game. He tried his best. He just wasn't quite good enough for Carl that night. Um, that was that stadium fight, wasn't it? At the stadium that I cannot remember, but it was like a, you know, it was a dream for Carl Frampton to, to fight there and it happened with Luke Jackson. So he played his part in the fight. He just wasn't good enough and, you know, he had a good story. We all wished him the very best moving forward. So all the best to him in this eight rounder. No opponent just yet. Billy Dibb returns to the ring. Unbelievably. 43 and 5. Former IBF featherweight world champion. Friend of the show. Friend of mine, Billy Dibb. He retired after losing to Tevin Farmer in Australia about was it about a year ago now and he seems to be back on this card here in an eight rounder i haven't spoke to him but i'm um i'm curious to 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 kind of know what's going through his head coming back after after that that length of time out the ring he didn't look great in that fight against tevin farmer um but then again tevin farmer is a top quality operator um but yeah all the very best to to billy dib if he does decide to you know, go for a few more fights. Moving over now, though, to the forum in Inglewood, California, USA. A Sky card, a DAZN card over here. Let's start with the undercard. Anthony Sims Jr., 18-0. A man that's really, really loved by the fans. He takes on Brother of Devon. Vaughn Alexander, the guy that I think went to jail for about seven or eight years, his record 14-2. and two. I know he lost, I think it was his O, he lost to Dennis Duglin. But he's not a bad fighter, Vaughn Alexander. That's a 10-rounder there. Former world champion Jesse Vargas, 28-2 and two with two draws, takes on Humberto Soto. Of course, Soto um, was able to beat Brandon Rios last time out on that terrible card that happened in Mexico. Not that... 
Not that it really does big things for him because I think Brandon Rios is absolutely shot to pieces, unfortunately, even though I like the guy. And um, yeah, that that win wasn't impressive for me, but he, he manages to get himself a shot here with Jesse Vargas on an undercard in California. Humberto Soto in search of win number 70. He's got 69 wins. Uh, he's got nine losses and two draws. Jesse Vargas, like I say, 28-2 and two with two draws. That's a 10-rounder there. And a unification here. Daniel Roman. We will be speaking to a guy um, in a few moments' time after the preview part that I'm sure will have his eye on this one. We'll be speaking to Brandon Figueroa, he is the the interim WBA Super World Bantamweight Champion, and of course that belt's on the line here, not the interim version, the full version, along with the IBF that TJ Doheny brings to the table. TJ Doheny, 21-0, Daniel Roman, 26-2 with one draw. I definitely think that that fight goes points. Um, Ayaz believes that, let me just figure this out, uh, where's the piece of paper he's left here? Okay, so Ayaz believes that Danny Roman will win on points. Um, You, the listeners, have gone with Danny Roman to win by knockout. So you're both split there. For what it's worth, I think Danny Roman probably wins on points. Again, my prediction is not going to count. I've already already completed it, mate, as Jay from in between us would say. Um, Yeah, I think that Danny Roman probably wins on points. I think he's got a good engine, whereas... Doheny looked brilliant in his last fight, and then when it got to the midway point, he seemed to kind of, not gas, but not really gas, I think that's probably a harsh word, but he seemed to slow down, and then the Japanese fighter that he fought, I forgot his name now, he was able to really come back into the fight and win a few rounds back-to-back, so I think it could be the undoing here if Doheny, you know, comes to the ring with the same stamina issues, and I think that Roman will probably close the show and look good later on uh, in the fight, I think he probably wins on points, though, I think Doheny's quite a tough guy, um... Also on that bill, topping the bill, with Saxel Wangek, the man that loves to chew on a rodent when he can. 47-4 and four with one draw. He puts his WBC World Super Flyweight title on the line against Juan Francisco Estrada. 38-3, and three, a brilliant, brilliant fight, by the way. Um, it, it is kind of strange that this is a bill topper. Um, it's, it's a hardcore fan type fight this one it's not for the for the uh, for the casuals they probably don't know who either guy is the two fighters have got a bit of history as well so that adds to it uh moving over now though to the Wembley Arena in Wembley London United Kingdom um on this one let's start here with Daniel Dubois 10 and 0 he takes on well he was actually supposed to be taking on Richard Larty from Ghana but unfortunately he had some visa issues so we've just um about 48 hours um, and perhaps a couple more, perhaps about 50 hours now till till uh, till fight night. Um, he is without an opponent, so I'm guessing he probably won't fight anyone. Um, so that fight looks like it's going to be off, unfortunately. Also on that bill, we get to see Hamza Shiraz, 7-0. and Hopefully the fight goes a bit longer than the last one. I think he knocked the guy out with about... Um, was it about 10 or 12 seconds into the fight? It was mad. Um, 7 and 0, like I say. He takes on Wiley, uh, Wiley Journeyman, to be honest. Ladislav Nemeth, 13 and 56 with 9 draws. That's a 6 rounder there. Jack Catterall, 23 and 0. No opponent just yet. That's a 10 rounder there. Sonny Edwards, 10 and 0. No opponent just yet. That's a 10 rounder there. Archie Sharp fights on the card as well. Um, I'm not sure how many rounds it is, actually, but he takes on the guy that 
Leon Woodstock boxed in his last fight. Uh, Leon Woodstock went the distance with him, but I believe he dropped him in the final round. I think it was an eight-rounder. And um, the guy's name is Sergio Gonzalez, so that's who Archie Sharp fights um, on Saturday night. I, I went to the uh, to the open workout earlier this week, and uh, it was it was good to see. Archie looked real good on the pads. Um yeah, that's an eight-rounder there, just to confirm. And also on the bill, we get to see Zach Chelly, 6-0. and He fights for the vacant Southern Area Super Middleweight title against Jimmy Smith, 7-1. and uh, Jimmy Smith, obviously the one loss, came to Yalton Neves, who's actually a journeyman Southpaw. He's, he's uh, from Manchester by way of Portugal. And I haven't just checked that. That is all upstairs, ladies and gentlemen. I've seen the guy fight. Yalton Neves isn't a bad fighter, but losing to him doesn't look good when you're taking on Zach Chelly, a man that I really do like the look of. And he hits harder than his record suggests. He's only got the three knockouts from six wins, but believe me, he can crack. And um, finally, the, the final... The final fight to mention, um, Lerone Richards, 11-0. and 0. He takes on Tommy Langford, 21-3. and 3. It's for the vacant Commonwealth Super Middleweight title and the vacant WBO International Super Middleweight title. Um, we like Lerone Richards. He's a friend of the show. We also like Tommy Langford. He's a friend of the show. Both men have been on. Um, Lerone Richards is a guy that... I'm going to say this, and I don't mean any disrespect here, but he's, he's kind of dining out on... This reputation, he he got in the ring and sparred Eubank Jr. and gave him all sorts of issues. That's what we're led to believe. And it's not his own fault, by the way. This is something that interviewers, including myself probably, we've brought it up time and time again. I'm doing it now. He gave Eubank Jr. some real issues in sparring. Apparently, he gave him a bit of a beating in sparring. Um, He's been on the show, like I say, talking about that incident. But he hasn't really had that marquee name on his record. I know he wanted to take on the likes of... um, Jermaine Smile in the past, that would have been a good fight, it never happened, so he's been searching for a long time for that marquee name, and Tommy Langford is that guy, so it's a brilliant fight, it's obviously going to be the toughest fight of Lerone Richards' career, and I'm looking forward to it, and like I say, may the best man win, and if he does get get this win, and, and in good fashion, Lerone, then people will probably stop talking about that sparring session that he absolutely hates. Um, being brought up all the time, I know he does, Um, you know, he doesn't want to be talking about sparring, he wants to be talking about real fights that you win under the bright lights, he doesn't really care about about sparring sessions, Uh, that's it though for Wembley, moving out now to the Oasis Leisure Centre in Swindon, Wiltshire, United Kingdom, friend of the show, Luke the Duke Watkins, 13-2, and I'm not sure if he's boxed since the defeat to Isaac Chamberlain at the Copper Box Arena, not quite sure, but he takes on Ozzy Gervier, who's got a record of six and seven. Aussie's actually a former opponent of Isaac Chamberlain. That's an eight rounder there. Um, who else is on that bill? No one really to mention. Uh, moving out now to the Cajun Dome in Lafayette, Louisiana, USA. I think I'm saying that right. It's a World Boxing Super Series card. And by the way, another little bit of news: Sky Sports have done a deal to show the semi-finals on their channel. So it's brilliant because I think I was going to have to find a stream somewhere, or perhaps go on a YouTube channel somewhere on the laptop top oh that's such a headache i'd rather watch it on the tv and sky sports have delivered so brilliant brilliant stuff for us uk boxing fans um on the undercard we get to see selena barrios 5 and 0 we spoke to her earlier on she takes on former wbc featherweight world champion melissa hernandez 22 and 7 with three draws that is um i believe 
supposed to be a six to eight rounder, Selena said, but that is two minute rounds um, from my understanding. It said three minutes originally, but now it actually says two minutes, so that has changed quite rapidly. Um, so yeah, all the very best to Selena there, of course. Also on the bill, friend of the show, Regis Progray, 23 and 0. He fights um, for for the WBA World Super Lightweight title, which of course belongs to Kirill Relic. And he also puts his WBC Diamond Super Lightweight title on the line. Kirill Relic, like I say, 23 and 2. I just think that Progray is going to have too much really for Relic. Interestingly, though, the listeners have gone with a Progray win on points. Quite big, actually. 60% saying Progray on points. Only 20% saying Progray by knockout. I think Progray does knock him out. I don't think Kirill Relic's going to be able to deal with the power that Progray possesses, actually. And Ayaz has gone with a Progray knockout. Uh, we've we've actually just skipped one here. Um, Ayaz is actually backing Tommy Langford to get a points win over Lerone Richards. Well, that... That is quite interesting. I mean, I'm not saying he can't do it. That is his strength. He's not a banger. He's a good boxer, Tommy Langford, when he uses it. Um, He's not really good with shorter men. We saw that when he took on Kurt Sidzi, going backwards here a little bit. But, um, yeah, that's interesting. But you, the listeners, have gone with Lerone Richards on points. So... Okay, that's interesting. I'm going to stay out of that one. I don't need to give a prediction. I'm already there, ladies and gents. Um, I like saying that. I like. I, I just like to rub it in here and there. But it's not. It's not that fun when Iaz isn't here to hear it because it really gets under his skin. Remember, we need to. We need to think of something he's he's got to do. He's he's going to have to sing some karaoke, something like that. Sending your suggestions on Twitter at Boxar Podcast and topping this bill. Um, I think it's top of the bill. Perhaps it's, it's chief support. But anyway, another friend of the show, Nonito Donaire, 39 and 5. He uh, he puts his WBA Super World Bantamweight title on the line. And also he fights for the WBC Diamond Bantamweight title. I think that belt is vacant. I could be wrong. Um, but yeah, in the other corner, it's a late replacement, unfortunately. Zelani Tete managed to, uh, to injure himself um, on... On fight week, I think it was on the Monday, and he now takes on Stephen Young, a guy with a record of 18 and one with three draws, only seven knockouts, so he doesn't seem to be a big banger. His only loss came to a guy called Raymark Gaballo, who was 18 and oh, that was back in March of 2018. But really and truly, his whole resume doesn't really have anything outstanding. But of course, it's not um, it's not Nonito's fault. He's he's um, He's been given a lot of good luck, actually. Um, but he wouldn't have wanted this fight. I know he was really, really up for the Tete fight. He gets a last-minute replacement, so it's a big chance here for Stephen Young. But in all honesty, I mean, I, I can see Nonito winning. I'm not quite sure the status, if this is officially going to be the semi-finals or not, but it, it really could appear that Nonito, because of his two opponents, Ryan Burnett and Zelani Tete, getting injured, he's managed to get a real fortunate way to the to the finals, so that'll be interesting. Um, all the best to Nanito, like I say, one of the nicest guys, and it is a real shame that the Zelani-Tete fight didn't happen, perhaps. Zelani-Tete and Ryan Burnett are both going to be back ready to... Uh, you know, to fight each other. We'd love to see that happen, though I don't think it will. Um, but they're both coming off injuries, so uh, that'd be a great fight to see if we don't get to see the uh, the, the Tete and Donaire fight rescheduled. So all the very best there to Nonito Donaire. Um, moving out now to the final bill to mention. This one is happening at the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas in Nevada, USA. We're going to start here with the undercard. Um, 
Effie Jagba, the Nigerian heavyweight that is absolutely demolishing opponents. He's the guy that has got a win um, because the opponent actually jumped out the ring and ran up the stage, got back in his car and shot off home. Um, Effie Jagba, 9-0, like I say. It's a 10-rounder, though I don't expect it going that long. He takes on Michael Wallish, who was actually an undefeated prospect. He was 19-0, and and then he ran into Christian Hammer, and he lost his O. Um, so that's his that's his one loss. He's 19-1, and so I'm expecting a Jagba to probably do a job on him. Um... Also on the bill, Victor Postel, we like him, 30-2, and two, his record. Of course, the two losses, Terence Crawford and Josh Taylor, not too bad. He takes on Mohamed Mimoun, 21-2. and two. Um, He beat Sam Eggington, didn't he? Yeah, he beat Sam Eggington. And that was at, that was pretty much at welterweight. It was, on, it was at one, yeah, it was at welterweight. That one was for the EBU European welterweight title. Victor Postel is at 140, though, so I'm wondering if this fight is at um, welterweight or 140 I think if it's at 140, yeah no it's at 140 he seems to have moved down, Mohamed Mamoun has moved down, he's had um, he's had his last two fights actually, at that weight um, he was always a small welterweight by the looks of it he never really came in at 147 he always came in about 145 about 144 um, he's moved down so his last two fights have both gone the distance he's won both of them on points um, yeah fair enough he takes on Victor Postel uh, talking a little bit too much about that fight and the main event though Robert Easter Jr. former IBF lightweight world champion 21-1 and the one loss came to Mikey Garcia he takes on Rancis Barthelemy this is a brilliant fight we had Keith Hunter on the show didn't we a couple of weeks ago and he has been pretty much the main sparring partner for Rancis Barthelemy this is a brilliant fight of course Barthelemy's only loss came to Kirill Relic um and he beat Kirill Relic in the fight beforehand, and then he lost the rematch. It was a bit strange. But look where Kirill Relic is. He's actually fighting um, Regis Progre, or, you know, for all the belts on 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 a on a big channel. Um, yeah, that's doing big business. I mean, this one is on Showtime, but you know, I think he'd like to be in a better position, really. But he takes on Robert Easter Jr. Um, it's, it's probably Robert Easter Jr.'s fight to lose. Obviously, Barthelemy's come down in weight. The Relic fights were at 140. Um, he was at lightweight before those two fights, but it's been a while since he's actually made um, 135. It's actually been almost three years, so you'd expect the the, uh, the 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 advantage to be with Robert Easter Jr., who's a very big lightweight, by the way. And it is for the vacant IBO world lightweight title and the vacant WBA world lightweight title. So it's a chance here for Robert Easter Jr. to become a two-time world champion. All the best to him. He's been on the show before once again, so he's a friend of the show for life. That is how it goes but that is also about it for the preview part of the show just before we wrap up the last thing to do is to welcome guest number two ladies and gentlemen please welcome the new interim wba super bantamweight world champion it is of course mr brandon figueroa brandon welcome to the show sir Hello, thank you for having me. It's my pleasure, Brandon. It truly is. Obviously, you're fresh off your win on the weekend. But before we get on to that, I do just want to go back to your fight before last time. Obviously, it was January this year against Moises Flores. If I'm being honest with you, Brandon, um, when that fight got made, I was a little bit worried. I thought, you know, Flores is a good boxer. Uh, he had that weird no contest against Rigondo. Um, he lost on points to, to reigning world champion Daniel Roman. 
uh, it was a tough fight on paper. I thought it was, you know, a real, a real hard fight to be honest with you. But you became the first man to legitimately knock him out. Please talk us through that fight. A brilliant win. Oh yes, sir. You know, of course, he he. You know, the the high advantage that he had over me, because uh, I usually have the high advantage over most of my opponents, but uh, this time, you know, he, he was a taller man. And that didn't worry me at all. I knew that, obviously, he was going to give me what I want, which is more body. Uh, so I knew I, w- I was going to have the ability to hit him more to the body, which is, you know, my, my style and my game plan. And, uh, you know, I, I broke him down early in the first round. And, you know, he, he has a weird style. But I'm, I caught him with that left hook, and that was it, you know. After that, I caught, after that left hook, you know, I, uh, I'm... You know, I'm a really good finisher, and I finished them. And like like we say there, you knocked him out in the third round. For me, that was incredibly impressive. Uh, your tactics actually took me by surprise as well. I mean, like I say, he was surely your biggest test, but you seemed to just kind of go in there and fight him, basically. It wasn't really a fight full of silky skills. It was very much a seek-and-destroy mission. Were they always the tactics going into yes, that sir. fight? Oh, yes, sir, of course. You know, uh, you know, putting the pressure on your opponent... Uh, implementing the body work, breaking them down, and you know, uh, you know, he he was a tough opponent. So, uh, yeah, that's basically my game plan: is seeking destroy, seeking destroy. And I know that my condition is my condition is superb. So, I knew no matter what, um, I was gonna last the whole twelve rounds if it came down to it. But um, um, I know that with my pressure, they're they're not gonna last in there. And your most recent win, like we say, it took place on Saturday on the uh, on the on the Garcia Granados undercard in California. Uh, in the other corner, Yomfres Parejo, a seasoned fighter, he's he's been in there with the likes of you know world champions like Ryan Burnett, like Zenat Zakayanov, and also Hugo Ruiz. And again, you know you, you're still only 22 years of age. It's quite incredible. You made him quit after eight rounds. Talk us through that fight just the other night. Uh, yes, sir. Of course, you know, uh, you know, I knew I knew he was a seasoned veteran, and like I said, my game plan is always to go in there and rough him up, and uh, you know, I, I caught him to the body, I hurt him, I broke him down. His, he didn't have any more dead. Uh, he used his legs probably to his last round before that one. Uh, I think it was the sixth round, I believe, was the round that he. I think that was it. I think that was his last. Basically saying this, this is it. I'm gonna give him my own. If, and if it doesn't work, then I guess he was gonna quit because uh, you know he, he he didn't really do anything. He he was catching me with some good good clean punches. You know he was moving a lot. Uh, he was trying to box me. Uh, so I, I had to you know adapt to that real quick. And by the by the next round, you know I adapted and you know I put more pressure. And you know I managed to hurt to hurt him really badly to the body. And I caught him with a lot of good punches. And you know he didn't come out for the ninth round. Yeah, he certainly didn't. I think his corner wanted him to, but he just didn't want to. I mean, that that is that's sometimes a bit sweeter than an actual knockout because the guy, you know, the guy had all his senses about him and he didn't want to carry on. Um, I mentioned there you you picked up the interim WBA world title. Of course, the full champion is Daniel Roman. He's fighting this weekend in a unification with the IBF champion TJ Doheny from Ireland. I'm sure you're going to be watching that fight. I'm sure it's on the zone. Um, how soon are you looking to be mixing it with these guys, Brandon? Because, like I say, you're still only 22, but you're just, you know, you're just flying through these these tough challenges. Oh yes, sir. Of course, you know it's all hours at the at the gym that I put in. You know, all my hard work and dedication, and not only that, I think it's most importantly my consistency. 
um, in and out of the ring. Um, but most importantly, yes, of course, you know, this fight is something that, you know, I want. Uh, maybe the winner, um, you know, it's just a matter of time before that fight lights up. You know, we will see this weekend how this fight goes. And after to get the negotiations going. But as of right now, you know, uh, I'm going to keep doing what I do, which is, you know, uh, work hard and, and just wait for my opportunity to shine again. So uh, just a, a, a matter of, you know, all Heyman and, you know, my team and us, you know, getting together and negotiating. And you talk there about the dedication that you've got for boxing. Obviously, you mentioned you're, you're massive, really, for super bantamweight. You're five foot nine. Uh, even in non-title fights, you still you still make weight. I mean, you might come in just like half a pound over the limit when you don't even need to make 122. But, you know, just just looking at that, it, it tells me you must live a seriously dedicated life. I'm sure you must eat clean, and you probably don't have many days outside of the gym. Oh, yes, of course. You know, that's, that's the, we got to show him and that, you know, I'm for real and that I'm, I'm not, I take this seriously and I'm not here to mess around. And, uh, you know, uh, this is my life. You know, basically boxing has been my life since I was a little kid and now I'm, I'm living my dream, you know. Uh, my dream became a reality this Saturday and I don't, I don't plan on stopping, you know. Uh, if anything, this motivating me more to work hard at the gym to, you know, go more rounds and, you know, dedicate myself a little bit more. But, you know, of course, uh, of course, I'm, I'm ready to, uh, to, you know, for that world, real world title belt. And I want to ask you also, Brandon, have you managed to spar some big name fighters over the years, perhaps since you've turned pro? What are some of the guys that you've been in there with uh, sparring in the gym? Um, well, when I was training with Joe Diaz, I was sparring Diego de la Hoya. I was sparring uh, Cesar. I forgot his name. Uh, he was an, another prospect. Um, you know, he, uh, you know, rest in peace soon. He passed away in a car crash. I was sparring, you know, a lot of prospects from Joe's gym. And um, what's it called? You know, um, yeah, you know, they, they, they gave me a lot of good work. And uh, now here in Texas, where I came with my father, you know, I really don't, there's not a lot of big names, but there's a lot of, you know, Real good talent here in the valley that you know they help me work, uh, but definitely you know uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna need to you know find that work class level sparring that I need for if I end up do fighting the champion uh, or whoever wins from TJ and Danny. So yes. And I want to ask you this one, Brandon. Do you watch boxing as well as compete in it? Because your 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 older brother Omar barely watches any fights. I mean, a, a big a big massive fight will happen. Like I think it was Pacquiao Broner. You know, two guys that he's you know he's he's basically fighting in their weight class. He's been linked with Broner. And I remember saying to him, Omar, did you watch the fight? And straight away he just says, Nope. He doesn't even watch these fights. Do you watch the fights? <laughs> uh, I'm honestly no, like not. Not really fights. It'll probably be fights that you know are probably really big. If if you know my my dad or, or one of my friends invite me out to go watch it, I'll probably watch it. But if it isn't that, either I'm always at the gym. I come out late, or you know I'm 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 busy doing something else. So it's it's not that it's not that it doesn't interest me or anything. It's just that you know this I do it every day, and sometimes I just forget about it, or, or I don't have the time of day you know to watch the fight, but. Obviously, of course, when I get in social media, I see little clips of them fighting and stuff like that. So, I mean, I'm not, I don't miss out on it, but um, I'm certainly not, like, interested in, in, in watching it, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's better than Omar. Like I say, he barely watches anything. Um, 
you know, you, you've got your older brother, Omar, an undefeated former world champion himself, keeping a close eye on you. Is that a good or bad thing, Brandon? Because he's, um, he's, he's quite, I think sometimes he's quite harsh, really, when he speaks about you. Sometimes he uh, doesn't really give you the credit you deserve, I feel. Oh, yes, sir. No, uh, um, you know, I love my older brother. And if anything, that motivates me more because I'm I'm hard on myself. You think he, he's hard on me? I'm I'm hard on myself. So, you know, it's good to have someone that agrees with me, not, you know, people that tell me, oh, you look good, you look good, even though me deep down inside, I know I, I, I could have done better. And, uh, you know, there's always room to, to improve. So, uh, no, you know, I, I appreciate my brother for the help. And if anything, it's... It, it, it's it's for the better, you know. He's real experienced in the ring. He obviously has more experience than me, amateur wise and professional wise. So, you know, I look out to my brother a lot. So, him uh, telling me that, you know, I need to work on some things. You know, I really pay attention, and you know, he's he's someone that I look up to. So, yeah. No, it's great to hear that you've got that relationship. I remember when Omar was on the show probably about, well, probably a couple of months ago, we were talking about your fight, I'm sure. I think it was the, the winner of a Flores. And I, I said to him, it was a brilliant performance by Brandon Omar. Um, was it a proud brother moment for you? And he kind of said, he said, yeah, it was, but don't tell him I said that. You know, he's uh, he's very careful with the uh, with the compliments for you. But no, it, it's brilliant. You know, he, 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 tells, it, he tells it as it is. Um, you're coming off six knockouts in a row now I mean you know you were you were kind of being compared a little bit probably a little bit unfairly but you were being compared with the likes of Diego De La Hoya when you was training under Joel Diaz but you seem to be a guy that's kind of outshining the rest of those those types of guys at the minute with these knockouts back to back I'm sure you're enjoying everything at the minute in your career oh yes sir of course you know we we all have different styles uh, you know, Diego has a really nice polished style. A lot of, you know, a lot of guys, my weight class, they're, they're real polished and everything, but I just feel like I just have that Mexican uh, rugged warrior style that, you know, is, is, like you said, you know, seek and destroy. And the power that I have with my both hands, you know, really, really uh, helps my style uh, because there's, I mean, there's no point in having my style if I know I don't have power, if I know I'm not going to hurt my opponents. Uh, but, you know, I know people say I have a long reach and I should use it, but, I don't know. It's just I always fall back to my style, and and I know I need to I need to I need to polish it a little bit more and box a little bit more. But um, you know I don't know. That's that's just my style. That's just my way of fighting, and that's my way of breaking down guys. Um, and but I do plan on on you know polishing it and you know work a little bit more on my defense, uh, uh, my footwork. You know a bunch of things that that you know I I could do better. That I definitely want to work on. No, that's very honest of you to say. I mean. You know, you don't be too hard on yourself. You're, you're doing you're doing some amazing things. You know, you're you're a big guy for the weight. You've got the power in both hands, like you say. The other night when I watched your fight, I see you were switching a lot. You know, you're a complete nightmare for for so many boxers. I mean, I can see you really going all the way and causing many many guys problems. The final couple of questions I've got for you, Brandon, before I let you go, um, I'm gonna kind of put put you on the spot a little bit here. Um, who would you say is your favorite? fighter from the UK uh, it can be of any era I'm, I'm not expecting you to be a boxing historian to, to throw a name out of a guy that retired 60 years ago but who's, who's the kind of guy that comes to, to, to your mind when I say your favourite UK fighter uh, UK fighter I mean <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't really think I have a favourite US fighter to be honest <laughs> uh, I don't know I don't really know I don't really watch I don't really know a lot of uh, 
That's fine. UK boxers besides uh, Anthony Joshua and probably Prince. Yeah, Prince. Um, but besides that, you know, uh, it'll probably be, you know, Mexican fighters like, you know, Juan Manuel Marquez and, you know, maybe my older brother as well. You know, I, I've always looked up to him. Uh, but no, I'm, I mean, I don't know. I know I don't really know any much UK fighters, you know. I barely watch boxing myself, so, yeah. <laughs> you guys, have pro- you're probably the best the best boxers that don't really watch boxing. Um, and finally, finally, Brandon, where, where can people follow you on social media? Are you, are you on, you're on Twitter and Instagram, right? Please give out your handles so people can follow you. Oh, uh, yes, sir, of course, you know, uh, and Twitter at Brandon Lee Sig and on, on Instagram, Brandon Sig at all one-on-one, they can follow me there. I'm trying to be a little bit more active on social media. Um, I'm trying my best, but it's because, you know, I get distracted by, you know, I'm always working out every day, and uh, I don't sometimes I don't have the energy to you know pull out my phone and record what I'm doing and stuff like that. But uh, definitely, yeah, they, they can follow me there and you know uh, see what I'm up to and yeah. And just repeat that for me one more time. The uh, the handles, Brandon. You said it a little bit too fast for me to understand. Okay, uh, on Twitter at Brandon Lee Fig, F I G yeah. at the end, and on Instagram Brandon Figueroa. 101 on uh, Instagram. Excellent. Okay. Perfect. Brandon, I want to say it's, it's been a real pleasure having you on the show, my friend. Congrats once again on the win. Keep winning, and I'm sure that we'll speak again very soon. Uh, yes, sir, of course. Thank you for the opportunity. I appreciate it. Okay, and this concludes episode 184 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. I as Sumra has been I as Sumra. A massive thank you to our two guests on this week's show, the undefeated and delightful Selena Barrios and the undefeated and spiteful Brandon Figueroa. Here's a fact for you, though. Um, both of our guests, this is a complete accident, by the way, but both of our guests from this week's show are from Texas. Both of them are undefeated. Both of them have got siblings at box, and both of their siblings are also undefeated. I love, I, I really do love an accidental uh, fact like that. Uh, there has been some news developed whilst we've been recording the show. Joe Joyce has actually signed a promotional contract with Frank Warren. That should be interesting. Um, obviously, that heavyweight stable's growing a little bit now. He's got the likes of Dan. Daniel Dubois and Nathan Gorman in that in that stable as well. Um, WBA middleweight world champion Robert Brandt. He will be defending his title against Ryota Morata, the man that he actually beat for the title back in October. The rematch is set to take place on July 12th in Japan. And I'm guessing Morata's promoters must have been paying a real bomb for, for, uh, for Brent to go over there and defend his title. Uh, in other news, Golovkin has decided to split with his long-term trainer, Abel Sanchez, after nine years. That's quite unfortunate, to be honest. Uh, Gennady will hopefully find a new trainer pretty quickly because his fight is only six weeks away now. The Prediction League currently stands at you, the listeners, on 95 points, and Ayaz is right behind on 94 points. It is very, very close. There are another three points up for grabs this weekend because, once again, the listeners and Ayaz have disagreed on every single prediction. Two weeks running now. It is exciting. But that is about everything. Thank you all for tuning into this week's podcast. Thank you all for listening. Have a great weekend, and we shall see you again next week. <laughs>